0: term that's used in old translations of the Bible, what it means is that God shows us mercy. He shows us loving kindness, that God shows us grace. He shows us his loving kindness. It's an old English phrase for grace or mercy. And so the message Jesus was trying to get across, as we're going to see as we look at this parable today, is that someone who has experienced the loving kindness of God and has been changed has been born again, is a Christ follower, that person will be by nature kind. By nature, you will care about other people. By nature, when you see someone hurting, you want to do what? Help. By nature, you'll see a need and you'll want to meet that need. You'll, You'll be willing to take action. You'll be willing to pay a price. It may cost you something, but you're willing to do it because... You understand the ultimate price was paid when the Son of God died for your sins, and you were redeemed because of what he did, and you trust him. You experience the loving kindness of God, and it changes you. The Holy Spirit indwells you as a Christ follower, and so you become, by nature, kind, because Jesus, by nature, was kind. So you will take action, you're willing to pay a price. And probably the best example in understanding it in your life on a practical, daily basis is you're willing to put other people ahead of yourself. You become unselfish. And we talk about our fifth family times together, fifth Sundays and family time together. Think about in a family with your children. How often is it what I want as opposed to what my sibling might want. I was uh, A friend of mine was in my own neighborhood where I grew up. Lived there from the late 50s until I got married in 1973 and lived in this little house in East Memphis near Overton High School. And he was at Overton High School doing some work, and he called me and he said, Where's your house? I want to see where you grew up. So I gave him directions. He drives down there. And, and he pulls up and he said, This the one with the giant tree in the yard with the busted driveway? And I said, That's it. I said, I remember the day we planted, uh, the guy across the street, planted that tree, and it was just a little sapling, and now it is gigantic, it has busted the entire driveway, I obviously don't know who lives there now, but it's a very small house, like 800, 900 square feet. And I said, yeah, I can vividly remember. I, had, I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. I can vividly remember them. My friend sitting outside and the drive, looking at the house. And I said, you see the roof of the house? You see how low it is? My older brother and I used to get our younger brother up there and throw him off the roof to see what would happen. And he said, you actually did that? I said, yeah, we had hedges down there. It didn't hurt him. He's, he's still around. He's, he'll be 60 this year. So he's, he survived. I said, yeah, we just thought it was cool. And then we, we loved to play football with him because he was so small, we could hurt him easily. And they're just siblings. And I can vividly remember my dad got paid by the week. And before he could drink it and play poker and lose all of it, we, he would give my mom a certain amount of money to buy groceries with every Friday. And we'd go to the grocery store, and she, she would she would bring it home. And my older brother now I, as our younger brother, was just terrified of us. And I guess you could understand why. But my older brother and I, he was three years older than me, we just started hiding stuff that we wanted. Like, we loved 16-ounce bottle of Pepsis. That was just like the coolest thing in the world. Mom would buy some of those. We'd have them all drunk by Sunday. They they didn't last long, but we're hiding food. Why? Because I knew if I didn't hide it, what was my brother going to do? He'd eat it, because he was selfish. Now, by nature we talked about this before. I don't care how little your children are. By nature, human beings, whether they're children or adults, by nature, we're selfish. I want what? I want. And when you experience the loving kindness of God, that changes you. Now, we still struggle with selfishness, like we struggle with a lot of things. But by nature... As I grow in my faith in Christ, and one of the, ways, the best things you could teach your children, what's one of the things that, when they're like three, four, or five, maybe even younger, or particularly when they get like kindergarten, what's one of the things they talk about all the time? You got to share. You got to learn how to share. Who wants to share? I don't. They don't. Those are my crayons. I ain't letting them have one of them a five-year-old granddaughter has built this thing in our, our big room down or downstairs, the by, uh, whatever they call that room, hearth room or something. I don't have, I don't understand what all that stuff means, but we have these little blocks. Well, she's built her, she calls it her house. It covers the entire carpet, and you better not touch it. You better not move one of the. She, and she's over there like two nights a week and every other weekend, but you better not touch her house. She got, she wrote on a little piece of paper, Lydia's house. little goes to my office, gets a piece of copy paper, writes Lydia's house and lays it on top of it and it better be there. When she comes like Tuesday night, Thursday night, it better still be there. Because if you move it, she'll know you move it. Kind of like when Peter was full time in my office in Bartlett, I'm very uh, sensitive about my books and where things are. Peter would go in my office and just move books. (laughs) At home, I've got probably a hundred books on bookshelves and they're alphabetized. And You better not move one of them. I don't know you touch my stuff. Loving kindness, no matter how young you are, when you experience it, and then as parents you begin to teach it, model it, build it into your children so they can learn, I want to be nice. I I want to be kind because Jesus has been kind to me. I want to be unselfish because Jesus loved me unselfishly unconditionally, sacrificially. That's literally what the word means in the original language, that for God so loved, that he totally sacrificed, unconditional. It was not about him in any way. It was all about us. And when you understand that and you're changed by that, you become a follower of that Christ. That's why Paul says over and over, it's Christ in you is your hope. It's Christ in you that manifests what it means to know God, love God. So that's what we're going to look at in this parable. And we're going to spend most of the time leading up to the parable, what Jesus was trying to, to teach. In Romans chapter 2, the Bible says this. Do you despise the riches of God's goodness, forbearance, and long suffering? not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance, loving kindness? Don't despise it. Understand what, how much God loved you, changed you, showed you kindness when you didn't deserve it. He did it anyway. And so it changes us. Now, look at the context. Luke chapter 10. Let's start in verse 21. Leading up to the parable. Verse 21. In that hour, Luke 10, 21, in that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and he said, I thank you, Father. By the way, if you don't believe in the Trinity, you might want to write that in the margin of your Bible right here. Jesus is in with the Holy Spirit and he's praying to who? The Father. So Jesus says to the Father in the Spirit, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and the prudent, and you revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. The wise and the prudent, what Jesus is referring to here, we'll see in a moment, are these scholars who think they know it all, who are experts in the law or the Old Testament or what we would call the scriptures. They were absolute experts, had most of it memorized. They think they, they knew it backwards and forwards, but they did not know it. It wasn't heart deep. It had not changed them. And Jesus is praying to the Father. He said, I'm getting, you haven't revealed this to the wise and the prudent, the ones who think it have got it all together, but the children. Jesus said in another place, you need to come to me with the faith of a child. You come and you trust me because I've proven to you I love you. Trust me. Don't understand it all. These guys thought they had it all together and they missed it all. Jesus said, Thank you that those with the faith and simplicity of faith, you reveal it to them. So let's look first at what it means to love God. Number one, there hand out loving God. Drop down to verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up in the crowd and he tested Jesus saying, Teacher, what shall I do? And by the way, this is question right here, and that verb is the key to understanding everything that's about to happen. So hang on to this, verse 25, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when he says he's a lawyer, that simply means that he's not a lawyer like the Bar Association or what we would call a lawyer. What it means is he is an expert in the law, the Mosaic law, what we would call the Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. He's an expert in the law, really the entire Old Testament, those scriptures for the Jews. So it says he stands up and he tests Jesus. He's trying to trick Jesus. He's trying to trap him. This happened over and over. When he calls him teacher in the original language here, he's not showing him respect. He's mocking him, saying, He's looking for Jesus as a rabbi to say something that he, as an expert in the law, could accuse Jesus of heresy. Trip, trick him. We'll see more of that in a moment. So really what he's trying to do is find out what this ignorant Galilean is all about. What is it you're teaching? What is it that's going on here? So he says to Jesus, verse 25, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Here's what he's doing. They had a system. We'll see this again in a moment. They had a system of rights and wrongs and do's and don'ts and what they had taken the law of Moses and had just extrapolated to this incredible burden. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Because the Pharisees, the Jews, the experts, this guy would have been a scribe, that they had just burdened the Jewish people with this unbelievable, impossible task of being righteous by keeping the law as they saw it. You have to do this, you can't do this. And in their own mind, Paul writes about it in Philippians, they were self-righteous. They believed they were right with God because they kept the law as they interpreted it. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus raised the bar to an impossible height when he said, doesn't matter whether you've done it or not, if you think about it, you're guilty. And they were all like, "Uh uh-oh. That's Hebrew for "Uh uh-oh. We're in some serious stuff now. If just thinking about it is sin, we're all guilty. And Jesus said, if you and if you're guilty of one, you're guilty of what? All. Oh. So what the guy was trying to do here was say, okay, Jesus, we know our system. A. We'd like to know what your system B is. So the question. Remember, their system was self-righteousness by what you do. Again, that's that verb. That's the key to understanding this whole thing. They're saying He's saying, this is what we say you have to do. Now, Jesus, what do you say we have to do? By the way, another reason, another example of understanding this, Matthew 23, it's very powerful in Matthew 23. Jesus said to to the people who were following him, the massive crowds, he said, you see the Pharisees over there? Don't pray like them. You see the Pharisees over there? Don't give your gifts like them. You see the Pharisees over there? Don't fast like them. Now, who were the Pharisees? They were the religious leaders. They were the experts in the law. They were the ones all the people followed for spiritual guidance. And what did Jesus say? I don't want you to be like them. When you pray, don't pray in public so everybody can look at you and go, ooh. You get alone with your father. Talk to him privately. It's about you, your heart. When you give, don't let your right hand know what your left hand's doing. Just give. Don't do it to impress anybody. When you fast, don't make yourself look like a zombie. Jesus didn't use that word, but that's what he meant. Don't make yourself look like a zombie so everybody will think that, wow, it's really sad. No, quit trying to get the applause of men because the Pharisees have that. What they don't have is the smile of God. They got the applause of men. Everybody respects them, looks up to them, thinks they got it together. And then Jesus in Matthew 23 said to them, Quote, you're going to hell and taking people with you. Whoa. That's pretty powerful. So back to where we are. The lawyer is trying to trick, trick Jesus. He saying, give me the one good deed I can do according to your system, Jesus, so I can notice the question, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Let me ask you a question. What is an inheritance? Who gets an inheritance? Mary and I have three children. We've joked about this before. Their inheritance is 50 bucks each. (laughs) They're going to get their inheritance. Why are they going to get it? Have they done something to earn that 50 bucks? They're going to get it. Why? Because they're our children. They were born into that right. They are our children and therefore they will inherit. See the contradiction in the man's question? The lawyer, the expert, the very contradiction in what he asks. What can I do to inherit? The answer is what? Here's the key to the whole thing and you can go home. The question is what do I got to do to inherit eternal life? Inheriting the question, the contradiction, he's saying by what good works can I gain eternal life? What's the answer to that? Nothing. See you later. That's the parable of the good Samaritan. That's what Jesus wants this guy to understand. That's what he kept saying. Why he kept saying, "My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is from heaven. My kingdom is about you being changed spiritually. My kingdom is not about what you can do." Even in the Old Testament, that's certainly. It's always been that way. There are none righteous. No, not one. All oh, your Righteous deeds are as filthy rags. You cannot be close to God. You're either in or you're not. If any man's in Christ, Paul wrote to Corinth, you're a new creation. Not if any man is close to somebody who is in Christ. The Pharisees could not have been more religious. And Jesus said they were going where? To hell. Because they were basing their righteousness on what? What can I do? Now let's see what happens. The point of his whole question was, I'm righteous in my eyes. How do I get righteous in your eyes, Jesus? Notice Jesus' answer, verse 26. Jesus said to him, what's written in the law? How do you read it? Obviously Jesus is the master teacher, but this is so cool. Notice, this guy is a what when it comes to the law. We already saw it. He's a what? Expert. So Jesus turns it around on him. You're an expert in the law, the law of Moses, the law of God. How do you read it? What does it say to you? So he asks the expert in the law a question about the law. Smart. He takes the law over to God's word. So how do you read the law? Verse 27. So the lawyer said to Jesus, Quote, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So, two aspects to to the law Jesus said. How do you read the law? In other words, sum it up for me. He sums it up how? Say on your handout. Two things. Number one, love your God totally. Love your God with all your being, totally. Secondly, Love your neighbor unselfishly. By the way, Jesus had been asked the same question in his earthly ministry, and what was his answer? When they asked Jesus this very question earlier, how do you sum up the law? What did Jesus say? Law and the prophets. Love God with all your being and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you think this guy had heard Jesus say that? Probably so. The truth is, he's right. The problem is, his approach to it. He says, How do you sow the law, Jesus said? And the expert says, all right, I got him now. Because I know it's what he thinks. He's, this is what he wants to hear. You ever say anything the preacher wants you to? You think the preacher wants to hear as opposed to what you should say? Of course you have, because I've done it too. You know what's cool about that? Is guess what? God, God knows what you really think. Who are you fooling? Well, just be honest. So love God. Love your neighbor. Same answer Jesus had given. And here's the key. With all your being. Little word all. Jesus' response. Verse 28. He said to him, Jesus said, You've answered correctly. Rightly. Notice the next word. Remember the lawyer's question. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? What does Jesus say to him? Do What you just said, and you will live. Love God with all your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do that, and you'll live. It's an Old Old Testament quotation. It's exactly what Jesus is doing. The Greek tense is, keep on doing it. Don't just do it once. Don't just do it twice. Do it all the time. In other words, please don't miss this because you'll miss the whole sense of this. Here's what Jesus is saying. You have to be a person that loves God with all your being all the time. You've got to be a person who loves your neighbor unselfishly all the time. Raise your hand if you do that. Oh, what was Jesus' point? You can't do that. You're not capable of doing that. You have to come to God by faith and say, oh, dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Because how many of us are sinners? Now every hand should be up. See the point? Jesus did the work. You reap the benefit. In him, you love God. In him, you love your neighbor. But the lawyer didn't get that. Eternal life is not by what you do. Is you do these things because you've been given eternal life in Christ. You've been changed. So then he's going to get into explaining it to him by telling him a little parable. So second thing on your handout is you love your neighbor, love God with all your being, then you'll be kind. Verse 29. What's the first word of verse 29? But he, the lawyer, wanting to justify himself. Please don't miss that phrase. Wanting to justify himself. Not begging God to justify him setting free, but wanting to justify himself based on his way of looking at things, his self-righteousness. Wanting to justify himself. How many of us have ever done that? Again, every hand all a bit. That's who we are as human beings. I want to justify myself. He said to Jesus, okay, who's my neighbor? The idea of self-righteousness again. We we'll need to justify himself. He didn't want to take responsibility for his sin, that fall before God. He was looking for a technical way out, looking for a loophole in Jesus' plan. So he says, who's my neighbor? Now understand, as a scribe, as a Pharisee, as an expert in the law, here's the way he, they believe, as Jews, here's the way they believe about neighbors. Quote, my neighbor is my fellow Israelite. Who's that leave out? Most of the human race. My neighbor is my fellow Israelite. They believed only the righteous could be Jews. Sinners like Gentiles and Samaritans and tax collectors couldn't be righteous. So he's looking for a legal limit, an out. Now I'm going to read you a quote from God's word that this man was an expert in to the Jewish people from the Old Testament quote, from the law. The community is to have the same rules for you, the Jews, and for the alien, non-Jews, living among you. This is a lasting ordinance for generations to come. You and the alien shall be the same before the Lord. That's not what they believed, though, by this time, was it? Is that we are righteous, self-righteous, and everybody else is on the outside. As we've been studying in the book of Acts, how hard was that for Jews to get past? How hard was it for Peter to get past? He struggled with it. They either, either they got to be like me, or they can't be in. The whole Jerusalem council. So now, look what Jesus does. He's going to tell him the parable of the good Samaritan. Good means righteous. What was a true neighbor? The hero. Again, don't miss this. The hero of this parable that Jesus is about to share is a Samaritan. What would, would have been the mindset of this Jewish expert in the law about Samaritans? Half-breed dogs not worthy of my spittle. I, don't, I walk around their land. I don't step on their land. I want nothing to do with them. They could never be righteous in the eyes of God. So in the story, Jesus tells the parable of the good Jew. No, the parable of the Good Samaritan, the hero of the parable, remember the, the, the expert's question was, "Who's my neighbor?" Jesus said, "It's the half-breed dog that you hate, because he's kind and you're not. He's the neighbor, not you." And we're going to see in this parable, look at verse 29. Thirty. Jesus answered, and he said, "Verse thirty. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among thieves. They stripped him of his clothing. They wounded him, and they departed, leaving him half dead. Notice the victim is not described. We're not told who was the victim. Jewish, or was he Samaritan? Was he Roman? Probably Jewish. But that's not the point. It's a story. It's an illustration." Some people believe it was an actual event. We're not told that. Some simply said probably a parable. So Jesus said a certain man doesn't matter. And here's the reason it doesn't matter. What was Jesus about to teach this self-righteous hypocrite? Your neighbor is anybody who's in need. Jew, Gentile, Samaritan, Roman, whoever it is, they're in need. Anybody in need. Verse 30 31. By chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place, came, and he looked, and he passed by on the other side. And back to verse 30. The man's on his way. He's attacked by thieves. They strip him of his clothing, they wound him, and they departed, leaving him what? Is this man in need I would say about as much in need as you could be and still be alive. Laying there, probably bleeding to death, everything taken from him. Now notice the two selfish responses. Because they don't understand loving kindness. The priest. Okay, real simple. What what nationality would a priest have been? Jewish. A Jewish holy man. A Jewish man who had been in the temple, taking care of the temple and offering sacrifice, telling them your sins are forgiven, that kind of thing. A righteous, holy man on the highest pedestal in the eyes of the people passes by on the other side, deliberately avoids the man in need. He wouldn't even come near him because he would have been unclean because he's near death, Jewish or not. He thought he could have been, looked dead. He just didn't go near him. He just passes by on the other side. In verse 32, again, likewise a Levite came, he looked, he passed by on the other side. The priest deliberately avoids what's a Levite? A Levite worked at the temple. They were the tribe that was paid out of the tithe to take care of the temple. Worked with the priest. Again, a righteous, holy man. He at least stops and looks. But then he does what? Notice the phrase again passes by on the other side. Not a bit of kindness shown. Remember the lawyer's original question What must I do? What did they do? Nothing. They didn't show the man kindness. Now look at the spiritual response. Verse 33. Here it is, love the Bible, but, by the way, there's a church here in town, just a little side note, my wife pointed out to me, what's my favorite word in the Bible? There's a church here in town on Houston Levy. they got a summer series going on, So on their marquee, you know what it says? The, what's the exact thing, Mary? The biggest butts in the Bible. stole my stuff. I'm suing. I told Mary a joke, which I won't tell in mixed company. But uh, It's all about it. It's in the Bible. So it's it's not nasty. It's it's in the Bible. About someone tying something to a tree and walking a mile. But you can uh, figure that out. All right. But my favorite word in the Bible. Verse 33. A certain Samaritan. At that point, what do you think the ears in the countenance of the expert Jewish man in the law, what's he thinking? A Samaritan, a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, where the victim was. When he saw him, he had compassion. On your handout. He saw a need. He shows loving kindness. Notice the next thing. He saw him. He had compassion As a result of having compassion, loving kindness, he went to him first. He did not pass by on the other side. What did he do? He went to the man, the victim. He bandaged his wounds. He poured on oil and wine. He sent him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn and he took care of him. He saw the need. He felt the need. He had compassion. And he met the need. On the next day, verse 35, when he had departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and he said to him, you take care of him, the victim, whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. He went to the man, he used his own stuff, pouring oil and wine on there, would have been expensive, the oil especially, totally unselfish. And he takes him to the inn. He makes sure the man's taken care of. And then he also says to the innkeeper, I got this. Whatever else you spend to take care of him, just take care of him. On my way back, I'll repay you. He's unselfish. He's willing to take action. He steps up and does what he's moved to do. And notice, he's not asking for anything in return, is he? He just does it. Verse 36. So Jesus says, which of these three, this is a question even I would have gotten. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? If you're the expert in the law at this point, what are you doing? You're trying to figure out how I can crawl out of here without being seen. Verse 37. And he said, he who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, you go, and what's the next word do likewise don't likewise like the priest and the levite the levite likewise like the priest you go you got to culturally you just really got to understand this jesus said your question was what should i do to inherit eternal life i want you to be like a samaritan No. oh the point was, it's not whether you're a Jew, it's not whether you're a Samaritan. Why is the parable of the good Samaritan? Because the Jews in the parable were supposedly righteous and they showed no kindness. Who showed kindness? The pagan half breed who there's no way he could know God. He was the one who was kind. My brother Chris Ellison's favorite verse in the Bible is what, Brett? James 122. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Clearly, who's doing loving kindness in this story? It's the Samaritan. Jesus said, you summed up the law correctly. Love God with all your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love God with all your being, you'll show loving kindness. Remember the lawyer's original question. Don't forget it. So the answer is, you'd be like the Samaritan. Now let's sum this up. Look at the bottom of your handout. Eternal life. The guy's question was, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? You can't do anything. You've got to be like Jesus. Put your faith in him, let him change you, and then go about doing good like he did. Show loving kindness because you've been shown loving kindness. It begins with loving God it's then manifested by loving your neighbor in your daily life, showing mercy, caring. It's a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, that list. Gentleness, kindness. Be like Christ. Charles Spurgeon years ago said this, let it never be forgotten that what the law demands of us, righteousness, The gospel produces in us. You can't do it. Christ can do it in you and through you. In Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul said these words, and then we're done. As God's chosen people, clothe yourselves, wear, put on righteousness and kindness. So think about it this way, and then we'll pray. Every day, you encounter people. Every day. Some of them you encounter all the time because you're married to them. Or they're your children. Or they live in your home. Or you work with them. Every day for a believer... You don't have to open your Bible every day and say, do you know John 3.16 says this? Nothing wrong with that. But how often do we have, and again, my hand is up. How often do we have opportunities to just simply do an act of kindness to someone wanting nothing in return and we miss it? Then you're not always going to be able to do it. It doesn't always involve money. Most of the time it doesn't. Maybe it's something as simple as putting your arm around somebody and saying, I know you're hurting, I love you, can I pray for you? I'm crazy enough, we were joking about this yesterday. We were at Best House and we were just sitting around talking and we were joking about Mary and I met in 1970. And I was joking with her and I said, what is it about me that's so attracted to you other than my staggering good looks (laughs) in 1970? And we were joking about it. One of the things was, I had just been, I mean, I had just been saved. I got saved in April 1970. I didn't know jack about the Bible or about it meant to be a Christian. What I knew was, well, this is really cool that Jesus saved me. And I'd walk up to total strangers, adults. I'm 16 years old, weighed 125 pounds, same height I am now. Oh, man. <laughs> we got a picture of us in 1970 on the beach in, at Panama City, and I've got on the, Me and a couple of my friends. And I'm telling you, if I'd have turned sideways, you couldn't have seen me. I mean, but I'd go up to total strangers, adults, and I would just buttonhole them and say, do you know how much Jesus? I would talk to anybody. I'm crazy. I'm still that way. I love people. Not everybody. I realize not everybody's going to do that. But there are people you're around who are hurting for a variety of reasons. And you know the God of loving kindness. Be kind. Because you have experienced kindness. That's the message of the Good Samaritan. He was a neighbor because he cared and did something. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for Jesus Christ. That incredible love. Loving kindness you showed us and we did not deserve it. Romans 5.8 says, even while we were yet in our rebellion against you as sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved us that he gave. He just loved us. Showed us loving kindness. Didn't give us what we deserve. He gave us, showed us grace. Christ came and died in my place. Through him, I know loving kindness. I pray for all of us, starting with Randy. We would be kind people. Kind people. Loving, kind, compassionate people like the Good Samaritan. So then we would earn the respect of people to tell them about Jesus, the one who showed us loving kindness. We commit this time as we close together, Father, to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like me to pray with you, I'll be down front.